Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to my sermon podcast. I'm going to just record this little piece at the beginning here to let you know that unfortunately the audio for this week's recording is not great. So my apologies for that. And I just don't quite have time to record it all over again. So um, my apologies. We're starting a new sermon series called Stranger Things, where we talk about some of the odd passages in the scriptures. So it's going to start with uh, the reading from Matthew, and then uh, we'll dive in after that. So again, my apologies for the audio. And next week, uh, it'll be back to uh, much better uh, listening. So thanks, friends. So it's going to be Matthew 17, verses 24 through 27. When they reached Capernaum, the collectors of the temple tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? He said, Yes, he does. And when he came home, Jesus spoke of it first, asking, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tribute? From their children or from others? When Peter said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the children are free. However, so that we do not give offense to them, go up to the sea and cast a hook, Take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a coin. Take that and give it to them for you and me. May God's blessing be on the hearing and living out of this word. You know, for those of us who claim the label as Christian, uh, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes I think we have to confess that our faith or that following Jesus is a little strange when you think about all of the different things that we believe or claim to believe, all the different stories that make up our faith. One of my favorite stories in ministry happened several, several years ago before I started Urban Village or helped start Urban Village at a previous church in the suburbs. And we were coming up on Easter and we wanted to promote our church, market our church. So we sent out uh, postcards uh, as a mailer to people who lived in the community talking about Easter. And that flyer, that postcard, went to a person who visited on Easter and brought her two children along with uh, her. And so she came up to me. I don't know if it was actually Easter, but it might have been a few weeks. They started coming back and visiting, and she came up to me and explained that it was the postcard that made them visit, and I was pleased to hear that. And then she said, you know, my son had a really interesting question when I was talking about church and about Easter and all that Easter means, he looked at me kind of quizzically and said, why is Jesus a zombie? Now, at first, when we hear that as people of faith, we may chuckle to ourselves and think, oh, what a silly boy. But then I thought and reflected on it. that Actually, you know, maybe we shouldn't be too hard on this boy. I mean, here is the story of Easter. A guy that we thought was dead and now is walking around sounds a little zombie-like. So we can't blame this little boy for thinking that Jesus is a zombie. Well, this week we are starting a new sermon series called Stranger Things. For those of you who watched the TV show on Netflix, we're playing off of that, of course. We're going to explore odd, puzzling texts from the Gospels. These may be passages that we've come across Maybe we just kind of skim over because they don't make any sense or actually maybe even seem a little embarrassing. There are parts of the Bible, of course, that we don't quite understand or just doesn't seem like that matches how we perceive who God or who Jesus are to me. So maybe like whenever you have somebody coming over to visit and you shove all the things in the closet to make it look like your house is always spick and span, 
these are passages that we kind of shove in the closet a little bit because we don't know what to do with them. And we would rather people just don't know that they're there. Well, we're opening up the closet and we're going to bring these out and do our best to understand them and explain them. And I will confess that I'm still puzzled by some of these, including today's. So I don't have all the answers, but hopefully we can at least begin to explore them, see what might be there for us. So once again, I will encourage you to get out Bibles uh, as we go along here. I think that might be helpful for you to get a sense of of the scriptures, especially because we're really looking at these in context. It's always important when we look at the Bible to take a look at what are the stories before and after this, and also how is it, where does it fall in the, the book of the Bible that we are reading? So this is the Gospel of Matthew, and it's important to remember some things about all the Gospels. These are stories of Jesus, yes, but they are also written from particular points of view. The writer wants to, to get across a message or theme. It's also important to remember that these Gospels were written anywhere, depending on the Gospel, between 30 to 55 years after Jesus died. Each one has a particular point. Like any good narrative, there is an arc to the theme that the author of this Gospel is wanting to get across. So, for example, in today's passage from Matthew, it comes at the end of a section, according to at least how one scholar puts it together, a section that starts back at chapter, the end of chapter 13. So again, today we're reading from chapter 17. So starting from the end of chapter 13, specifically verse 54, to today's passage, 1727, this is a section that this scholar has put together and says this is called, or that this scholar calls, the formation of the new community amid continuing conflict. So it starts, end of chapter 13, Jesus is rejected at Nazareth. And from there, through chapters 14, 15, and 16, what pops up are stories of conflict. So all the really wonderful things that are happening in the midst of this new community. Now people are pushing back against it. And then we will transition into chapter 18 and begin, Jesus will begin to have some teachings about, well, what do you do with conflict? How do you create this new community in uh, in the midst of conflict? So that gives you a little bit of a sense of the context or, or where this story falls in the Gospel of Matthew. So now let's take a look at the few verses that we read today. Verse 24 brings up this really interesting question. These religious scholars or these people who are collecting the, the taxes for the temple Ask Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? So the first question that we would probably all ask, what's a temple tax? Well, there's some debate about exactly what a temple tax is. Many scholars believe this was a religious tax, an annual fee that people who went to the temple had to pay. It came out to about two days' wages for a day laborer. This tax was imposed on all male Jews over the age of 19 to support the temple and the sacrifices that went on at the temple. Now, perhaps not surprisingly, it was not this tax was not universally accepted, but the tax also wasn't rigidly enforced. There was debate about what the scriptures, and in their case, they're looking at the Hebrew scriptures. They are debating about what the scriptures say. Some say that, yes, this is required. Everybody must pay this fee. Others are saying, no, actually, it should be voluntary. So if you think about it, if you go to a faith community, it'd be the difference between if you, we would say to you, if you come to Urban Village, we're going to put a fee on your coming to this church to support 
And I'm sure there would be a few, more than a few perhaps, who would push back against that. Uh, instead, we ask for voluntary contributions. And that's partly, partly what, what's at the, the, the center of this debate that's happening with these uh, tax collectors who are, temple tax collectors who are asking Peter about this. Some scholars also believe that maybe they're trying to trick uh, the disciples are trying to trick Jesus. And so this is the main topic or the main point of debate that's going on here. So what does Jesus think then? How does Jesus respond once Peter says to these tax collectors, temple tax collectors, yes, Jesus does pay the temple tax. And then he goes back to Jesus. And now Jesus is beginning to reflect on and dig into this question. So first, Jesus compares children of God to children of kings of the earth. So in other words, he asks the question, would children or would kings charge their children a fee or a tax? And the response is, well, no, they wouldn't do that. And so Jesus then says, then the children are free. Now, this is an important phrase. I think this is going to be the key to what we talk about for the rest of this sermon. Then the children are free. And then after that, Jesus tells this somewhat bizarre parable about fish and a coin and says that because we are free, we should contribute, give, so as not to give offense. So again, there's debate about what Jesus means here. It seems like Jesus is opposed to any kind of forced tax, but does say that you should give to the temple because part of the reason that we're starting this or growing this movement is we don't, if we refuse to pay anything, that might get in the way of sharing the message that Jesus is all about. So I know this is a lot here to, to kind of take in, but let's focus in again on this phrase, then the children are free. We are free to do what we want. You know, freedom is a funny thing for individuals. It's a catchphrase, of course, for Americans. Everyone always elevates freedom as one of the biggest assets or principles of what it means to be a citizen of this country. But that may also spill out into other parts of your life. I want to be free to do what I want. Now, first, this might seem like we all are nodding our heads like, yes, of course, freedom is, is good. Freedom is something that we all desire and want from our life. But freedom sometimes at least should have some constraints when we live our lives, truly is wanting to live our lives any way we want. A few weeks ago, I went to make my annual uh, trek to the Iowa State Fair uh, and whenever I go there, of course, I am going to eat a lot because everything there is high in calories. Many things are fried. And so whenever I, it seems like every year I go to the fair, I think I cannot wait to, to dig in and eat anything I want because this is my day. I can, it's the Iowa State Fair, so I'm going to eat all of these things. And then at the end of the day, this almost always happens. I feel a little sick to my stomach. I'm like, why did I do this again? And then it happens the next year and I forget all about it. So I can eat anything I want on that day. But at the end of the day, I think I'm not sure I should have done that. Even though I can doesn't mean that I should. And I think this is the same with freedom too. Freedom in our faith, freedom in our lives. Just because we can do something in our lives, it doesn't mean that we should. Especially if we don't think about what repercussions might have if we do whatever we want or just do because or we um, engage in things because we're free to do so. So going back to the text, again, in the Gospel of Matthew, 
the author, I think, is wanting to tell stories and give testimonies about who Jesus was and who he who he is, but he may also be writing these stories as a way to instruct readers on how to behave, how to be the church. So there's a scholar named Douglas Hare who, when thinking about this passage, sums it up this way. He says, Jesus' followers are advised not to give unnecessary offense on secondary issues where principle is not involved and compromise is possible. So in sharing the good news of Jesus, they want to do all we can to freely share this. How do you do this? Perhaps what's happening here in Matthew is that the message is be wise about how you use your freedom to share the good news. Just because, again, just because you have the freedom to do or to not do something doesn't mean that you should. Just a few verses later in chapter 18, Jesus talks about stumbling blocks. So are you using your freedom as a person of faith to place stumbling blocks in front of potential believers? Are you using your freedom to put in front of others with whom you're in community, to put stumbling blocks in front of others with, uh, within your community? Think about that for a moment. Yes, you are free. You can essentially do whatever you want. One of the core components of, for us as a people of faith is free will, so we can do whatever we want. So then the question is, should you? As you think about and reflect about how can I live out my faith, how can I share my faith in a way that helps people in their own walk or the introduction to somebody who might be interested in that walk? Are you going to do so in a way, are you going to freely share your faith, but are you going to do so and then put stumbling blocks in from somebody else? So instead of drawing them closer to God, it takes them away from God. You have the freedom to do anything you want. So then the question is, how will you use that freedom? That's a big challenge, I think, for us as a, in the church in 2019. It's a question that we have struggled with at Urban Village from the very beginning when we talked about, well, should we put the word Methodist in our, in our name? We get questions like that sometimes. Like, Why aren't you Urban Village United Methodist Church? It's a good question. There's no right or wrong answer, but it's, again, it's one of the things. And we wondered, well, in this day where more and more people aren't going to church, if we put something like Methodist in our name, will that be a stumbling block to somebody? And again, I'm not saying we have the right answer. We just decided, well... Is that so important that we put it in our name, or is it more important that we live out our faith in this tradition as opposed to putting it in our name? And these are the kind of questions that churches ask themselves. What about our music? What about what we wear in church? What about communion? All of these things. And we have to ask ourselves, how do we use the freedom that we have to live out our faith? Are we using our freedom to put stumbling blocks in front of somebody else, or... Are we using our freedom and make decisions so that others are drawn to our faith? So I mentioned a story a few years ago in one of my sermons about a church that used its freedom in an interesting way. There's a church in Chicago called LaSalle Street Church. A few years ago, uh, LaSalle Street Church had received notice that they had, several years ago, probably about 40 years ago, they had gone in with other churches to buy a piece of property in their neighborhood, and then they decided to sell it. Uh, a few years ago, for a low-income housing project. The sale of this 
uh, land got each of the churches that were involved in this purchase $1.6 million. So I was reading this article. It was written by the pastor uh, of LaSalle Street Church named Laura Truax. And she describes what it meant for this church to receive this money. She said that when they first got it, it came during a time of financial pressure for them. Just a month before they received this money, they talked about that they had a $50,000 deficit. They had already cut their operating expenses as much as they could. They probably were going to have to reduce staff hours. They struggled with the loss of access to a neighborhood parking facility. So they knew, now we have this all this money. Shouldn't we just plug holes in the budget? But then they thought about the money. They had this freedom to do what they wanted with this money. What would they do? Well, an interesting idea emerged. They thought, why not give some of this money away? In fact, why not 10%? $160,000. They thought, what a surprising example of grace and freedom it would show the world. You know, churches are always known to ask for money. What about if we gave it away? And so they did. They decided to give $500 to each of the members of the church. They had a Sunday in September where they said, love, let go. They were love, let go checks for $500 to every member. And they encouraged them to give the money away. And then they kind of all kinds of fascinating stories came out of that. But one of the interesting stories, too, was the fact that uh, later on, as she went to the bank, she realized that about 30 people never cashed their checks. So they're about $15,000 still in this account. And so they used their freedom in that way. And so Laura Truex, the pastor, uh, thought that maybe they believed that just by doing nothing, they were giving back to the church. So all kinds of interesting things happening here. What to do with this money? The church had a decision. We have the freedom to do with this money whatever we want. And it would make a lot of sense for us just to put it back into the church because we have uh, holes in our budget. We have bills that we need to pay. But then when they decided to do this really remarkable, generous thing, they gave it to others. And they all had the freedom to decide what to do with that $500. How would you have used that money? I'm sure the temptation is that, you know what, I have my own bills to pay. And so it would have been very tempting, and I'm sure a few people did, and there's not there's nothing wrong with that. I've got you know, credit card debt or whatever, so they used the money in that way. There was no accounting for it. People could do with that money what they will. They had the freedom to do it. But story after story of people who decided to give it away, to use freely, to use that money so that it didn't place a stumbling block in front of anyone, but instead to use this money in a way so that others would be drawn to their faith. How do you use your own freedom? It takes discernment. You might be in a place where you have a decision to make. I could, you may be in a relationship with someone and you think, you know what, I, I could hold a grudge here against that person. I could dig my heels in. Or you could live your life generously. Forgive. Share grace. In other words, you could live your life according to the gospel, freely. And when you do that, 
when you really follow Jesus, freely follow Jesus, and do all you can to not put stumbling blocks in front of someone, but instead to make entryways into a closer relationship with Christ, when you truly live into that, you know what's going to happen? Probably someone around you, someone in society will say, that's a strange way to live. And you will say, I know. It's the way that I've been called to live, this strange, wonderful, Jesus-led life. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening to this podcast. Thanks for hanging in there. Where I think of these challenging passages. Sometimes it's easy to get lost, and so I'm grateful for your uh, willingness to hang in there. We will look at another one of these passages next week. And uh, as always, you can reach out to me, Christian at urbanvillagechurch.org or on my website, christiancoon.com. And we talked a little bit about giving this week. And so every once in a while, I throw in, if you feel like this podcast has an impact on your life, um, think about uh, supporting Urban Village. So you can just go to urbanvillagechurch.org slash give. And so friends, until the next week, may the peace of Christ be with you. Only first in